Recovery Elevator, episode 46. At that point, I did not believe I was an alcoholic. I thought I was just a person who had drank a little bit too much, it got a little out of hand, and all I needed to do was quit. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. Now, my name is Paul, and first off, Happy New Year's. I'd like to take this time to wish everybody a great 2016, and I'm going to be optimistic. It's going to be a great year. On today's podcast, the very first podcast episode of 2016, the interviewee is Pamela, and she wanted to wait till she got one year of sobriety in the books before doing an interview. Before we get into the topic today, let's hear from our sponsor, Sober Nation. Sober Nation is the largest online recovery community and treatment resource center. They provide treatment resources to those struggling with addiction as well to family members who are caught in the crossfire. On top of that, Sober Nation is a huge community of good people who share their experience with each other. They have informative content, recent recovery and addiction news, as well as an entire clothing line, which helps expand the culture of recovery. They can be found at www.SoberNation.com. Once again, that's SoberNation.com. The topic for today is resolutions. I'm sure everybody has 2016 resolutions. What are your goals for 2016? Are you simply imagining them? Are you writing them down? A practice that I have installed five years ago is I write down my goals for every year, the last five days of December. And then at the end of the year, I reflect back on that. 2013, 14, and 15, the number one goal has been sobriety. And fortunately, there's not a question in my mind of what goal sits at the number one lofty position on my goal sheet. And I read a stat one time, and I don't know how you can actually track this or find out if it's true or not, but it's something like 95% of the people who don't write down their goals don't achieve their goals. I read that five years ago and I was like, yeah, I don't really want to find out if that stat's BS or not. I'm going to try to write down my goals. A great way to hold myself accountable, which is a huge pillar in Recovery Elevator, is accountability. And one of my New Year's resolutions for 2016 is to quit the gym. I know that sounds strange, but I'm going to cover that at the end of this topic. And hopefully it'll make sense. With New Year's resolutions, some are good and some are bad. It's always good to have goals and direction in your life. But to me, the New Year's resolution of quitting drinking is not a good one. I'm guilty as charged. On January 1st of 2010, I parked my butt inside of a very comfy chair at Barnes & Noble at the Westgate Mall in Seattle, Washington. I read a book called Beyond the Influence, Understanding and Defeating Alcoholism by Katherine Ketchum and William F. Asbury. You can find a link to this on the recoveryelevator.com website. And I made a promise to myself that I would quit drinking forever. And we both know quitting anything forever is hard to do. Forever is a really long time. Ben Harper even has a song about that. The point is, I personally have made the New Year's resolution to quit drinking. But here's why I don't think it's a good New Year's resolution. If there's anything in life you want badly enough, and believe me, sobriety is something I want more than anything in the entire world, then waiting till a specific day is simply imprudent. A good friend of mine in recovery, Elliot, who also helped me with this podcast title, told me, look at the calendar right now. Today is the day that you have the best chance of getting sober. Reason why? Alcoholism, your alcohol drinking problem is progressive. If it's something you want more than anything else in life, you got to start today. 
In addition, there are many things that can happen from now, December 29th, till the 1st of January. What if you said, all right, it's the 29th, I'm going to get drunk tonight, the 29th, tomorrow, the 30th, and the 31st, I am really going to tie one on, and wait, the night of the 31st, you get a DUI, you total your car, or possibly worse. You're going to kick yourself in the ass if you're still around to do it. Also, with the New Year's resolution, I think there's a backup plan, right? After 10 days you drink, you're going to say, well, in 355 days, I'll just make the same resolution next year. It was a good go. We gave it our all. Looked at a meeting schedule online. Didn't go to a meeting, but we tried. Made it 10 days. Still pretty good. So I know this podcast actually comes out January 4th, which is after New Year's. But the point is, if your New Year's resolution of quitting drinking lasted a total of 48 hours, don't wait till 2017 to start it. Start it again, right now. But overall, I feel resolutions are good, and it's a great time to start something new. However, we alcoholics, myself included, we are experts in making promises, even to ourselves, and then letting everybody down, including ourselves. We are experts at solving one problem, but then creating 10 more. Guilty as charged several times in my own life. There are thousands of self-help books out there on helping you attain your goals. Tony Robbins is kind of the guru in this category. But a true alcohol problem like the one I have requires more than willpower and knowledge. And let me tell you from firsthand experience, this is not something that can be solved with a number two pencil. I think a lot of us have made that New Year's resolution to stop drinking. But when dealing with addiction, that day doesn't have any more power than the other 364 days in a year. If we don't take a few steps, that would be action to get us on the path of sobriety. Simply putting all of our hopes and dreams and cards on one day to springboard us forward? I don't know. It might not be the best idea. And that's only talking from firsthand experience. And if this is you, and it was me five years ago in 2010, wait a second, and January 1st, 2013, I think I only made like 44 days that year. I encourage you to save a lot of grief and supplement this resolution with some action, such as attending a meeting. Maybe a resolution includes at least attending one meeting a week for a year, 90 and 90. Tell somebody close to you, maybe a very close family member, such as your mom, dad, brother, spouse, about your alcohol problem. Maybe join the Recovery Elevator private Facebook accountability group and post to the group introducing yourself. Get outside of your comfort zone. It is a lot easier to quit drinking when you're part of a community that cares about you. I think the hardest part about recovery, it's not the doing, it's not the action, it's the resistance. And just think about this for a second. Soon as my pen hits the paper, I'm cruising. I'm healing, I'm recovering, my mind is going in good places. Soon as my feet hit the road for that run or I get on that hike, soon as I'm in the chair for that meeting, soon as I'm in a coffee shop with another alcoholic, life is grand. But it's that damn resistance. Oh man, I gotta call somebody, I gotta, I gotta do this, I gotta do that. It's the resistance. It's not really the action that's the hard part, it's the resistance. A side note, for all alcoholics making resolutions in the New Year's, this just in, we are experts at making promises and failing. We are also experts at trying to do things our own way, to solve and concoct new solutions to our problem, only to find ourselves humbled as we constantly bang our heads against the wall, hoping the outcome somehow will be different this time. I almost want to save myself and all of you guys the agony of defeat by just skipping resolutions in general this year. However, 
Not trying something new is way worse than not trying and failing. I'm going to say this one more time. Not trying something new is way worse than not trying and failing. Because what if, just what if, you take that blind leap of faith, you beat the odds, and you get sober? There could be a lot of joy on the line. Trying something and failing is scary. But let's back it up to the 20th century. Do you think when scientists try to tackle polio, they were like, well, we think we can find a cure for it, but we're probably going to fail a couple times, so we're just not even going to try. Without doing any research on the polio vaccination or the cure, whatever, I can almost guarantee you they failed hundreds of times before landing on the correct equation, the correct mixture of molecules, whatnot, to solve polio. What if Third Eye Blind had to just quit after their first album? They said, well, we could make a sophomore release, but it might not be as good as the first album. Thank goodness Third Eye Blind took that blind pun intended leap of faith. Sophomore album guys knocked it out of the park. Okay, a small suggestion. If quitting drinking is your New Year's resolution, make that your only resolution. Don't say, I want to quit drinking, lose 20 pounds, start eating better. Oh, I want to run a 10K before February. Just take your pen and scratch out everything else on that list besides quitting drinking because you're already up against a pretty monumental fucking task. But if you are in recovery, you got some sobriety under your belt, got some spare time, and you still want to hit up some New Year's resolutions, improving other areas of your life will actually strengthen your sobriety, I imagine. The key then is to skip the standard mode of operation, which is make a big promise and use willpower and brain power to try to fulfill it and instead, use some of the tools we have learned in recovery to help turbocharge our progress into these New Year's resolutions. So here are an example of some good ideas for New Year's resolutions. Let's put some more tools in that sobriety portfolio, the recovery portfolio we talk about all the time on the Recovery Elevator podcast. Also, let's be realistic with these goals. I'm going to say that one one more time. Let's get realistic with these goals. Don't come out of the gate so hot that you can't keep that clip up for more than two weeks. For example, if you're not a runner and your goal is to run five miles a day, five days a week, you're probably going to peter out around mid-January, well before the rubber on your soles peter out. So here are some examples of some realistic goals. Now, can you quit all sugar or just try to quit processed sugar? Maybe don't take on the entire beast at one time. Another measurable, keyword measurable, you want to be able to measure these goals. You want to just lose weight in general, or do you want to lose five pounds every three months for a total of 20 pounds in one year? You also want to vision yourself and what it'll be like when you achieve the resolution. Almost picture yourself like you've already achieved it. Now, Recovery Elevator, I don't want to sound lame or be repeating something I saw from a Tony Robbins seminar, but seriously, I fully believe that if you want something bad enough in this world, the universe, it's going to bend for you. It eventually will put it in front of your face. There was a time in my life, mostly the times when I was drinking, where that hope was completely gone. Living life with that hope again, the hope that I can attain anything that I want when I fully put my mind to it, it's a pretty damn cool thing. And I'm so glad it's back. Another good tool to instill with these New Year's resolution goals is how are you holding yourself accountable? Are you telling others? Do you have scheduled review times? Are you doing public postings on social media? Again, accountability. Another thing you want to have in place is a plan. For example, if you want to take on the lofty goal of learning how to fly, you could either just go to a high object, jump off, flap your arms, and try to fly, or 
You could get to the drawing board. You could plan this out. You could research lightweight materials. You could maybe see where others have failed. You also could maybe try to lose weight to eliminate some body mass, increasing your chances of taking flight. You could study gravity. You could see the movie Flight with Denzel Washington six times. Some other good takeaways with alcoholism in that movie. You could hang out with a flock of geese for the day, chart wind patterns, or you could buy a plane ticket. But you get the point. When successfully navigated, these goals, they're all good, and they can really improve our health happiness, and therefore our sobriety. One thing is for sure, achieving lofty goals were probably not possible when we were drinking. In fact, all of my resolutions or goals were pretty much unattainable when I was drinking. So New Year's is a good time to expand on our sobriety by really living, getting outside our comfort zone, and trying new things. I'm encouraging you to fail. Just don't bang your head against a wall. If you do fail, fail fast and learn from your mistakes. Oh yeah, I almost forgot to explain my New Year's resolution, which is to quit the gym. In fact, last night, I made true on that promise, and I did cancel my membership to the gym. Hear me out on this. I am very comfortable on the treadmill. It's a routine that I'm very comfortable with. It's a routine that has provided little growth in the last seven, eight years. I need to get outside of my comfort zone and try something else. After I shower, take my gym bag back to the car, I look at my dog who's just sitting inside my car, napping. He's so happy to see me, but he really should just slap me in the face and be like, hey dude, why don't we go walk in the mountains? So that's my New Year's resolution. I'm going to cancel the gym. I'm 33 years old. All those years of trying to increase my bench press, and that's just going to do a lot of damage to my body and probably my ego when I see younger guys who are a hell of a lot stronger than I am these days. And so I am going to go to REI this week and purchase skins for my skis. I'm going to get that cardio workout outside on a mountain. I'm going to do push-ups, just body weight type stuff. So that is my New Year's resolution. I quit the gym. Now let's hear from our interviewee, Pamela. Pamela, how are you? I'm doing great. Fantastic. Pam, thank you so much for joining us. Let's get started. How long have you been sober? I have been sober for one year and December 29th will be one year and one month. Nice. Congratulations on that. In Recovery Elevator, Pam got in touch with me right around her one-year sobriety mark. And in her email, there's a couple things that I want to touch upon in this interview. Number one is she said she drank to numb the pain. Number two is her father was an alcoholic. In her email, it says, if you were to tell me that I were to become an alcoholic when I was grown up, I would tell you you're crazy because I grew up with an alcoholic, my father. So, Pam, we're going to get into those questions in a bit. But first off, tell listeners a little bit about yourself, perhaps where you're from, what you do for a living, your age. Are you married? What do you do for fun? Sounds good. I grew up in Georgia. so I'm a little Georgia peach. And I went to college there. I met my husband there. Um, I was in the technology field. And we got married and moved to New England for a while. And then we came out west because I wanted to, had always wanted to live near the mountains because my husband and I are both uh, really outdoors people. We love to hike, backpack, bike, you name it, ski, and this is just the place to do it. We live in Wyoming now, and it's absolutely beautiful here. So that's kind of my story about how we got here. Nice. Yeah. And talk to me about the podcast title, Elevator. Tell me about your elevator. When did you decide oh boy. it was time to quit yeah. drinking? Was it a year ago or, <laughs> or were there relapses? Or tell me about your journey. Yeah, it sounds good. So my story basically is that I started drinking when I was 16. 
I grew up in, a, in an alcoholic family. My dad was an alcoholic. So I was really scared, to be honest with you, of alcohol. It just scared me. I really didn't think I would ever drink because of all the pain from my childhood. But I did wind up doing that when I got to college. And in college, I was pretty much a binge drinker. And that kind of continued through college. And on into my early years, I would consider myself to be pretty much a normal drinker, if there is really a such thing, which is, I think, a subject for a whole nother podcast, really. And then I think it kind of picked up in my 40s. And I started to really question how much I was drinking early in my 40s. And I'm 60. Okay, I just turned 60 this year. And so when you get to my age, when you start when you're looking down the barrel at 50, you really start to question things in your life. Am I doing what I want to be doing? Am I where I want to be? And I knew that I did not want to be drinking as much as I was drinking. It was just, it was starting to really worry me. How much were you drinking? You know, your email, you said the 40s were a real party. How much were you drinking in your 40s? I think in my 40s, I, you know, I, I wasn't probably able to complete a bottle of wine. I was getting pretty close to it, but I'd have a beer before I had the wine. That was the thing. I, I just became a real a real wino. I mean, I was having a real love affair in my late 40s with Chardonnay. So as, as, as things progressed, I was able to drink a bottle of wine and still get up the next morning and go on a long bike ride or go on a long hike. And all this time thinking to myself, well, I don't have a problem because, hey, I can get up in the morning and, you know, do a 50, 60 mile bike ride or a 14 mile hike. And with a little tiny bit of a hangover, not a terrible one yet. And so I can't, I can't possibly have a problem, right? Which is completely <laughs> laughable because okay. we all know that's not true. <laughs> yeah. So I, as I got closer to 50, I started to question it a lot. And honestly, I started to do some research about what alcohol does to a person's body, particularly a woman's body, because we don't metabolize alcohol the same way that men do. Tell me more um, about that. You know, we're lacking some enzyme that you guys have, and the progression of the disease is comes on more quickly for us. I can't really explain it all, but I've read I've read that in a lot of of research, and I think that's pretty easy to find. I have read that um, as well. Yeah, we we just you know the disease will will hit us more quickly because we don't metabolize it as much. So I started doing all this research, and quite honestly, it scared me. And it scared me enough that literally the day before my 50th birthday, I was in the shower and I just said to myself, I cannot do this anymore. I'm going to stop drinking right now. And I do have a higher power. I do believe in God. I did pray a lot about it. And for me, I think that was just the answer I was waiting for. And I literally got up the next morning and from my 50th birthday, for uh, two years and 11 months, I was sober. Wow. And I okay. didn't, I know, I know, it's amazing. It was almost like a miracle, but I didn't do anything else. And I want to make sure everybody hears this. What would that All be called, Pam? Dry drunk. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do anything else. I, I did do some reading, but I didn't reach out to anyone. I didn't go, you know, I didn't read any online blogs. So I was pretty much a dry drunk. And when I think back on it now, I realized that during that time, 
especially during the first six months, I was really, I think, deeply depressed. Hmm. I really didn't leave the house very much except when I had to. So thinking back on that, that, that should have been a sign. But I want to kind of fast forward now to that relapse part because I want people to understand this as well. Well, hang on. Before we get to the relapse, I know what a dry drunk is. It sounds like you do. Why don't you tell listeners in your own opinion what a dry drunk is? A dry drunk is you just stop drinking and you don't really do any work on yourself. You don't try and understand what is it that led you to drink. You don't reach out for help. Those to me are the two things that are primarily a dry drunk. I think you nailed it. And what I have found from firsthand experience, I was sober for two and a half years. A dry drunk is really only addressing one third of the problem. And that's the physical component. Yeah. You're not ingesting a poison anymore, but there's also the spiritual component and the psychological component that don't even get touched. And you just said that, like, we don't really address the issues why we drink and the spiritual. component. So, all right, go to your relapse. I want to hear about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the relapse happened on a bicycle tour. And for those of you who know anything about bicycling, it's bicycling and beer. They go together, okay, like peanut butter and jelly. So we were on a bicycle tour, and we went into a brewery. And because I thought I was what I called to myself or thought to myself cured of whatever I had called this thing, I hadn't called myself an alcoholic yet, okay? So I went into this brewery with my husband and all these people, and they brought out the little trays of the sample beers, you know, the little glasses. Yeah. And I told my husband, I said, I think I'm just going to try one of these. And he kind of looked at me and said, really? And I really thought that I could taste that beer. And number one, I thought that it would taste horrible. Number two, I thought it would just knock me on my butt. Neither, which happened. I mean, it tasted great. And I was like, oh, well, this didn't do anything. So let me drink those other four too. That led me down a path of, I started to drink beer again. I swore I would, quote, never drink wine again. Of course, that didn't happen. Yeah, and then it, it took me... Sounds like me... a rule you put into place that didn't work. <laughs> yeah. I, have a lot, I had a lot of those rules, you know, and those rules really didn't come into play until after that relapse when mm-hmm. I started drinking again. And a lot of those rules for the listeners are things that I know they're going to understand. I'm not going to drink during the week. Okay, I won't drink wine. I'll just drink beer. I won't do this. I won't do that. You're trying to rationalize the whole drinking, and it's just, it's not going to work. It's your addiction talking to you again. And, you know, we all have two voices. You have our real voice, and we have the voice of addiction. And, and part of this process in recovery is to learn how to discern the two. How did you and go about that process in charge. of discerning the two? I really talk to myself a lot <laughs> about it. Mm-hmm. When that voice starts, starts talking to me, And I talked to my higher power about it to try and give me strength. I think that the first step in recognizing those two voices is to recognize there are two voices, okay? Hmm. So just understanding that there is an addictive voice is very important. And then ask yourself, is this really good for me? What this voice is saying, is this thing that's being suggested to me for my highest good? If it isn't, then it's your addiction talking. 
Wow. That's how I do it. I love that. I love that. Right now, my addiction, I've personified him. His name is Gary. He's not going to get me to drink today, but Gary also knows this. So his plan of attack, his strategy is to slowly break down that wall by saying, hey, Paul, look, donuts are on sale. You know, that's uh, 35 cents a donut and we'll start eating sugar. Hey, Paul, let's stay up late tonight. Let's sleep in today. Let's get off this routine. Hey, we don't need to go to a meeting. We're busy. And that's where Gary, that's where it's hard for me to wreck. It's easy for me to say like, all right, Gary, I'm not drinking. But it's those small little minute details that I, I have trouble discerning his voice. Do you have the same thing? I do. And I think that I probably had those before that relapse and I didn't recognize them. I probably did not recognize them. It is all the little things that can add up to your addiction taking over or to your listening to your addictive voice instead of your real voice. So I do think we all have to be aware of that. Having said that, though, we can't be so hard on ourselves that, you know, this is a holiday season. We are going to eat too much sugar, probably. And we kind of need to cut ourselves a little bit of slack, I think, too, sometimes, you know, as long as we're aware of it. And back it up a little bit to your relapse here. I've said many times, and I still fully agree with this, that a relapse happens way before that first drink. Did you also see that as well? Like a relapse was just like waiting to happen at any moment? I think so. You know, I think one of the things that I remember about a few months before that relapse is I was starting to feel really left out because all of the group of people that we biked with and hiked with you know, everything always ended in beer, everything. And so I, I really was feeling left out. And, and the second most important thing is I don't really believe that I wasn't at that point. I did not believe I was an alcoholic. I thought I was just a person who had drank a little bit too much. It got a little out of hand and all I needed to do was quit. And hey, if I could quit for two and a half, almost three years, then surely I can't be an alcoholic. That was my twisted thinking, and I I shouldn't really say it was twisted. It was my uneducated thinking. Now that I've done a lot more research, a lot more reading, I understand that I was an alcoholic the whole time. I just wasn't willing to admit it. Pam, I said the exact same thing verbatim in 2012. I said, hey, I've been sober for almost two and a half years. There's no way I can be an alcoholic, and I relapsed. Right. I relapsed. Right. And, you know, remember that... I swore I would never be an alcoholic because of having a father who was an alcoholic. Well, let me just put it this way. I, I think what I said was to myself, I will never be my father. But the truth is that I am my father. I'm just a different, a different type of an alcoholic. He was a binge drinker. I mean, by the time I quit, I was drinking every day and just sick and tired of being sick and tired. Oh, Yeah. And can you touch base on your father now? Is is he still drinking? Yeah. Yeah. My father passed away, actually, Sorry very early that. in life from alcoholism mm-hmm. and heart disease. But the good thing is that he was sober for 20 years before he passed away. Okay. I was able to forgive him because a lot of my issues in life, I blamed him because I had a terrible childhood. I blamed him for his drinking before I really understood that it was a disease and that he was just doing the best he could. And my dad never really sought help either. He just quit drinking. Hmm. But I was able to make amends with him, which I think was huge for me. But that is how my drinking started was, 
you know, I wanted to numb the pain because I figured out that as long as I was drinking, I didn't have to think about the pain. And I think that we all have something or some things in our lives that maybe we haven't addressed. Yeah, I agree with that. That are causing us. I agree with yeah, that. I that think are it's a combination. It's it's the allergy and also there's some other things and underlying issues that need to be addressed. Yeah. And Pam, right, talk to right. me about the relapse. So after that, it sounds like you're 52, 53. You drank for another nine years about. And tell me about yep. those nine years. I'm sure you got real sick and tired of being sick and tired, right? <laughs> I did get really sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, it took me, I think in the last uh, couple of years, well, first of all, I had this target. It's like, okay, I'm not coming into 60 drinking. I just refuse. And I know there's a lot of young listeners out there And I really applaud you all for trying to stop drinking now. Because let me tell you, when you see the the letters six zero and you're staring down the barrel (laughs) at the last third of your life, you're thinking, hey, I'm doing everything. There's so much I want to do. There is no way in hell I'm going to do it drinking. So my drinking kind of progressed and I was, you know, I was able to drink like a bottle of wine and a half. Okay. But the physical issues were starting to present themselves a little more. What were those? Well, just the headaches, but most importantly, the memory loss. I didn't really have blackouts, but I certainly wouldn't remember conversations. And that's really embarrassing. In particular, that's probably one of the things that was most hurtful, I think, when I would talk to my adult son once a week on the phone, and he would say, Mom, you already told me that. Mom, you already told me that. And I would jokingly say, oh, well, I have CRS, you know, I'm getting older. And then I realized, oh, my God, I am telling him the same things over and over. I mean, the memory loss is really bad. And you don't get those brain cells back, by the way, people. Yeah, I guess I'm a little confused. If it's not a blackout when you're talking to your son and you don't remember it, what would it be then? I guess, well, I guess I think of a blackout as, you know, you're cast out and, and you don't remember anything. I would remember some of my conversation. Mm-hmm. I just don't remember every, you know, everything that I told him. So I guess you could say it was a blackout. Okay. I mean, maybe te- technically it is. No, that, that makes sense. I was just a little, little confused on that. And I, I know what you mean. I would be blacked out in Spain bartending for eight hours and I'd remember maybe one hour of the eight. <laughs> so I, 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 right, I, now, right. now I'm on the same page. Right. So that's what I mean. I can remember part of my conversation, but I don't remember all of it. So I would basically toward the end of my drinking, I would go to bed every night having drunk a bottle and a half maybe of wine, loathing myself, just the self-loathing was horrible, feeling terrible about myself, feeling terrible physically. I would wake up at three o'clock in the morning and sweat, you know, sweating. I don't mean sweatpants, but like sweating, night sweat, thinking I cannot do this anymore. I'm, I'm ruining my body. I'm ruining my life. And then about four o'clock the next day, the whole cycle would start over again. And I would literally every day pray about, you know, getting the strength to, to quit doing this. And, and I just think I finally surrendered. I surrendered. It was two things, surrender and acceptance. I, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot live this way anymore. I really do need help and I, I have to stop. And the acceptance was the acceptance that I am an alcoholic, that I cannot take a drink of alcohol, and that is okay. Pam, and those are the- after doing 44 
this might be my 45th interview, but after 45 interviews, that is a common theme that I've heard and was including myself in that is when people finally are ready to quit drinking. Finally, I mean, it, there are no plans in place. They don't say, all right, I'm an alcoholic, but I've still got this backup plan or they, they still obsess over finding a way to drink. Normally, I found after 45 interviews, it's the people they finally say, okay, I am powerless, the surrender. When I hear the word surrender, I used to think AA, but not anymore. It's just the surrender and the acceptance. Just like you said, it's those two things because I did it myself. I surrendered and I was accepting and then I asked for help. And then that was September 7th, 2014. Keep going. I interrupted you there. Sorry. No, 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 no. I agree. I agree. That's, that's totally what it is. From that point, then you start drinking and every, you know, you know this because you've done it. And so the difference this time is that I, I cannot just stop drinking because, as you said before, that's only part of the puzzle. So I, I read some more books. I started looking at some blogs online where other people have quit drinking. I found your podcast and I found some other podcasts. And little by little, I started to reach out and put myself out there. And the minute that I actually sent you an email was the most freeing moment really in my life was that I was finally saying to somebody, guess what? I have a drinking problem and I'm not going to drink anymore. And now I want to really do something about it. And right now you're, you're helping people. You're helping me stay sober. You're staying sober. <laughs> And I know listeners right, listening right. To this are going to find a lot of value. So what you're doing, it's remarkable. One year, I mean, that's huge. That's something to be very, very proud of. And talk to me today about your recovery portfolio. What does it look like? Are, do you do 12-step meetings? Do you exercise? Do I you don't, meditate? actually. Yeah, I don't. I'm not going to AA. I think AA is a great program. I hope that I will have the courage to go to AA at some point. I live in a very small town. And so I still have that little fear of judgment. So I think my next step may be that I'm going to do an online AA meeting. I think that will be really helpful to me. I wake up every morning and before I get out of bed, the first thing I do is say thanks. And I have found this to be really helpful. I think we get so hung up on big things and making things big projects. And, and what I mean by that is when I say thanks, I'll say thanks for the fact that I had a warm bed to sleep in mm -hmm. because a lot of people don't, okay? And so I say thanks for a couple of things. Then I ask my higher power, what can I do today to be of service to others? Show me how to do it. Show me who you want me to talk to and then give me the strength to carry that out. And yesterday, here's an example of that because, again, I think we get hung up on, oh, I've got to go to a soup kitchen. I've got to do this. I've got to. No, you don't. Not to me anyway. I was in the parking lot yesterday of a, a store, and it's, of course, Christmas season, and there's a lot of people there, and I got out of my car, and this older woman with a lot of bags in her arms was standing around looking lost. She had forgotten where she parked in my little small town. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I, I walked over to her, and I said, oh, did you forget where you parked? And she said, yes. And I said, well, what are you in? And she said, a red truck. Well, they were like, seven red trucks once I did a scan, you know, all the <laughs> way Wyoming. around. Yeah, a lot, lot of red trucks. <laughs> I know. In Wyoming, there would be a lot of red trucks. So I helped this woman find her truck, and it felt so good. And it's something that small 
that reminds you that it's not all about you, okay? All you need to do is reach out just a little bit to help somebody. So that's just an example because I think people do get hung up on when you say part of recovery is service, and that is so true, but it doesn't have to be huge. I mean, you're doing this great podcast, but not everybody can do that, you know? So it's whatever works for you. So I do that. I try to do something every day of service. It might be helping my neighbor with her computer who's elderly or whatever. And I listen to podcasts, yours and several others. I read other people's blogs and I try and comment when I see that someone's having a hard time and say something that I hope might reach them. I right now feel truly blessed that I am sober. And I'm telling you that sobriety is the greatest freedom you will ever feel in your life. Could not have said that better than myself. And Pam, what are those other podcasts and other blogs real quick? Okay, so the other podcasts, uh, the first one I actually found for years, Rich Roll. And Rich Roll's an ultra marathoner. He's awesome. He has a great book called Ultra, I think, actually. And he mm-hmm. was an alcoholic, or is an alcoholic. Um, the Bubble Hour. I listen to the Bubble Hour Girls. Mm-hmm. Great podcast. Yeah, and yours. And I've read lots of books, Drinking a Love Story, Rich's book, uh, Ultra. Uh, uh, the last one is Her Best Kept Secret. And I would mm. recommend that to women. Gabrielle Glazer, I believe is her last name. A lot of factual information there. And then there's just a lot of people who start their own blogs who are trying to get sober. And those are the ones that I, that I follow. I'm about to embark on uh, watching all the videos from Recovery 2.0 with Tommy Rosen. That's kind of it. And I exercise every day. I'm an outdoors gal. I've said that before. So that's not a hard thing for me. But that's when I am with myself. You know, alcohol takes us away from ourselves, takes you away from the real you. So when I go out to hike or run or bike or whatever, I'm with myself and my higher powers. The conduits to the higher power. I also find those outside in the wilderness on hikes and trails. Pam, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that'd be great. Are you ready? Yes. Pam, number one, what was your worst memory from drinking? I really think my worst memory has to be the blackouts, as you refer to them, and the memory loss. Number two, Pam, what's your plan in sobriety moving forward? I plan to continue to make connections with people like you, people in that wonderful RE Facebook group. Thank you all. You are just wonderful people. I would like to do an online AA meeting, and I want to continue to be of service. Expand your recovery network. I love it. Number three, Pam, what's your favorite resource in recovery? This can be a book, a mobile app, 12-step program. Let's hear it. I think right now, really, it's the RE Facebook group, the Recovery Elevator Facebook group. I, I really feel that everyone there is so welcoming. I, I just I feel like I just love everybody there, and I don't even really know them. Pam, I got to say thanks for the plug, and it's not even a shameless plug because I feel the same way. What is happening in that group right now is incredible. That is a huge part is. of my recovery as well. Videos, photos, tons of comments. I love it. Next question, in regards to sobriety, Pam, what's the best advice you have ever received? The best advice I've ever received is you've got to walk through it to get to it. And that doesn't just mean living through the days of hell of drinking to get sober, but it also means the pain like that I lived through in my childhood. I've got to sit with that pain, understand it, 
to get to the other side of it. So walk through it to get to it. I love that one. And I just wrote it down, walk through it to get to it. And last question, what parting piece of guidance, Pam, can you give to listeners who are thinking about quitting drinking or are in early recovery? I think do as much research as you can about alcoholism. Educate yourself as much as you can because the first few months of sobriety are not fun. I'll be honest with you. And you need to understand what your body is going through, what your mind is going through. You're not alone. Join a group like the Recovery Elevator Facebook group and accept and love yourself where you are right now. Pam, before we depart, give us your own personalized, you might be an alcoholic if. Oh, I have so many. But my favorite one is you might be an alcoholic if you need to drink at least two to three glasses of wine before you get to the party because you know there is only going to be one to two bottles on the table and they, gosh, one of those would be mine. So I better load up before I go. Love it. Love it. Pam, thank you so much for joining us, helping myself stay sober. I appreciate it greatly. Thank you, Paul. And thanks, everybody. Recovery Elevator, you might be an alcoholic if. Email me your personalized. You might be an alcoholic if to info at recoveryelevator.com. They can be funny. They can be serious. Whatever you want to do, but they got to be real and include your name. This first one's from Rob. You might be an alcoholic if you get arrested for trying to pump your own gas at a closed gas station while at the same time your friend is taking a leak on the other side of the car. This one's also from Rob. You might be an alcoholic if you teach your kids how to play beer pong, but you're the only one who drinks all the cups. (laughs) Love that one, Rob. This one's from Chris H. You might be an alcoholic if the very first thing you do when you go on vacation is locate the nearest liquor store. This next one's for Amber O. You might be an alcoholic if you have to replace your debit card once every few weeks because you black out, lose it, and this is a regular occurrence. This next one's from Meg. You might be an alcoholic if you are upset by Facebook ads relating to alcohol. Meg, I'm right there with you on that one. Budweiser, I'm trying to escape you. Do you really have to have a sponsored news story in my feed? This last one is from D. You might be an alcoholic if the remedy, alcohol, has actually become the ailment or the problem. Thank you, Meg, for compiling those on a weekly basis. Talk about accountability. You're nailing it. Every Wednesday, I get that email, and it makes my life easier, and I love reading it too. If you are listening right now and you are not part of the Recovery Elevator community, do yourself a favor. Expand your recovery portfolio. Put us in your back pocket or your front left pocket. If you're like me, that's where you carry your cell phone and join the private accountability group. In Facebook, you request by just searching Recovery Elevator Accountability Group, request to join, or send an email to info at recoveryelevator.com and we will send you a link. You're saying, well, Paul, I've heard you talk so highly of this group. What's so cool about it? Well, ready for it? Nothing new. There's really nothing new that we're doing in this group. Bill and Bob, those guys were on to something big. That was working with other alcoholics. That's really all we're doing. But in a more digital era of 2015-16-ish, episode being recorded in 2015, but probably when it comes out, it'll be 2016, not positive on that yet, but you get a point. There's videos, audio files, there's pictures, there's sober selfies. Send us your sober selfie at info at recoveryelevator.com. You should be proud of what you have accomplished, even if it's one day of sobriety. Create that accountability. Snap us a photo, email it to us, info at recoveryelevator.com, and say, hey, look, My name's Tim. I've been sober for 44 minutes, but this is me creating accountability. 
I am ready to quit drinking. Recovery Elevator, you know how we close this out. You took the elevator down. You got to take those stairs back up and feel free to lean on the railing at times, but don't lean for too long on that railing. Keep moving forward because you got to move through it to get to it. Thank you, Pamela, so much for that. You took the elevator down. You got to take the stairs back up. You can do this.